all across this house. Can we make a little bit of noise one more time for him? You can go ahead and have a seat. You can have a seat, have a seat, have a seat, have a seat. Awesome. Thank you, team. Come on. Don't we love our worship team here at Purpose Church? Can we just honor them for a second? Come on. We're so thankful for them every week, week in, week out. They lead us in worship. And I'm just so thankful for their heart behind how they worship and why they worship. Obviously, it's to point people to Jesus. And I'm so thankful for them. And, man, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so glad you're at church. Again, happy Father's Day to my dad sitting three rows back right there. Uh, man, so thankful for my dad. Uh, so thankful for him. He's had such an influence on my life. Just one of the, the men I look up to in my life. And I'm so thankful for you, dad. And uh, I'm a dad. And I just want to shout out all the other dads out there and, and men and spiritual fathers. Man, just so thankful for you. Guys, we're glad you're here today. And, and, and families, I know we got a lot of families visiting for baptism. So can we honor those families that are here for the first time? Put our hands together and let them know we love them. Man, I'm so thankful for you. And yeah, we're starting a brand new series called Seven. One more time, somebody shout Seven. And so this book of Revelation, again, we're going to deep dive into the book over the next seven weeks. And we're going to talk about some things that, again, I don't know that really a lot of times we would be honest and say, you know what, I'm looking forward to listening what, what, what Revelation has to say. I'm just going to be honest. I think a lot of times, how many of us growing up, maybe you've heard of it or maybe you haven't, but you were kind of scared of the book of Revelation. Anybody out there? Come on, you can be honest in church, okay? A lot of us in this room. I, I know somebody actually just had a conversation last week with somebody that says, you know what, I'm a afraid to open it because I'm, I'm kind of scared of it. I get it. I understand that. I, I, I think that that is natural, that you would kind of have this inclination because maybe you've heard different things about the book of Revelation, but again, I, I think maybe for some of us, we come in with this context that this book of Revelation is scary. I don't want to read it. Like, it's confusing. There's like angels and battles and flaming swords and six eyes and all of this stuff that's out there, right? And I don't know what to make of any of it, and I want to tell you, hey, I I think that's okay that you have those, those apprehensions a little bit, but I think we're going to dive into the first couple of books, uh, the first couple of chapters over the next few weeks, and I think it's really going to encourage you that this is not something to be scared of, but in fact it's something to be excited about because guess what? Jesus is coming back, that Jesus is returning. We'll talk about that. It's going to be great, but I want to give you some, kind of some context, just kind of set us up where we're going for this entire series, and so again, the guy that wrote the book of Revelation is this guy named John. And John wrote the book of Revelation, and John was a disciple of Jesus, right? He was a disciple, the one that Jesus loved, right, is how he kind of terms himself in his own book, right? Like, man, I, he was my best friend. Like, he was my guy. Like, man, I, I, I was with him. And, and I want you to know that, again, the author is John, and John is kind of like the last man standing. All right, so John being the last man standing when it comes to the disciples that are living, the guys that walked around with Jesus, John is the last one. So I want us to see that, I want us to understand that, that that is the last disciple that is alive that literally walked around with Jesus, and you got to understand the setting of when he begins to write this. I want you to see something, that great persecution has hit the church. Okay, like great persecution has hit the, and I'm not talking about like somebody on the internet saying something about Purpose Church, persecution, you know what I'm saying? I think a lot of times that's what we think persecution is, like somebody says something about me on internet or you on the internet, and we think that's persecution. That is a form of it, but I'm talking about some real persecution, y'all. Like I'm talking like sawing people in half persecution. Come on, how many of us know that's some persecution, Right? Right, like that, like that's going boiling you in hot water, like ripping your limbs off kind of persecution. That's what's going on right now in this time. And there's this Roman emperor, his name is Domitian.
nation, and he wanted everybody to worship him. So he wants everybody to worship him. And John, this last living disciple of Jesus, right, the church is growing, the church is expanding, the church is moving. And John looks at this guy and says, you know what, I can't do that, sir. I can't do that. I'm not going to worship you because I've seen too much to worship you. I've seen Jesus. I know who the real Savior is. I know who the real King of Kings is. And so last man standing, how do you get rid of that dude? You know what you do? You ship him to an island by himself. Come on, somebody, right? Anybody ever seen Castaway? Anybody out there? Wilson and Tom Hanks. There's like four words in the movie. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Okay. Like, this is John, okay? This is John literally on an island by himself writing this letter because what happens is God appears to him in a vision. What God does, he gets a vision from Jesus that's telling of what's going on now, but also it's a prophetic vision about what is to come and that ultimately God is going to restore everything that has been broken all the way back to Genesis. And John gets this piece of paper and he begins writing it down that ultimately the end goal of Revelation is the fact that Jesus triumphs over everything, that God wins and that evil is over. And again, what John is doing, he's trying to write to some people in the New Testament Again, the church that's there, and he starts by addressing the seven churches that are in Asia. And we just read it just a few minutes ago, but I'm going to actually back it up a little bit more and read a couple of verses that may confuse us a little bit, but we're going to get there together. Everybody okay? About six of you. I said everybody okay? All right, good, good, good. So here we're going to do, we're going to go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse number 1 through 3. And I want to read this to you. Because again, I think for a lot of us, we've avoided this book, but there's an incredible promise right at the beginning of this book that I think we need to see. This is what it says in verse 1. This is again kind of the context for where we're going, who wrote it, what it's from. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, the verse says, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. Right? He says this, he sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything that he saw. So again, just what I just told you, a vision from God. John begins to write this down. This is his report, the Bible says, of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And watch what verse 3 says. Again, I think for a lot of us, we've avoided this, but I think this is actually what God wants to speak to us today. Watch what it says. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all of those who will listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Y'all, that's an incredible promise right there, right? That again, there is a promise of blessing that if we will study, we'll apply this word. You know what? Some people think, oh, the church just wants something from me. And, uh, but listen, I just believe, no, no, no. I want something for you today. That I believe you're going to walk away today blessed because you're going to be able to hear and I'm going to be able to hear some revelation from the word of God. And that God wants something for you. And he gets to that point right there. says, what time? You know, what time is near? What is that? Well, the time is near that once and for all, finally and forever, ultimately that Jesus will fulfill the promise that he will rid the entire world of sin, evil, prejudice, racism, injustice, disease, jealousy, anxiety, depression, fear, anger, hurt, 
loss, pain, it will be dealt its final blow and that Satan and his minions will finally be dealt with once and for all. And the message of the gospel is that restoration and fellowship with God is made possible by Jesus and that Jesus is coming back and it's going to be awesome and this should be some hope for anybody who knows Jesus because he is coming to make all things new. Come on. If we believe that, can we give him a big shout of praise in this place? I was singing that song just a second ago way too loud. You know what I'm talking about? I sought the Lord. Okay, that's how I felt. <laughs> and now my throat is hurting. So we're going we're gonna to go through it together, all right? But that's the good news of this book. That's the promise of this book as we open it up. As we begin to say, okay, hey, God, would you give me some revelation? Would you speak to me? And again, we're going to jump down to verse 9. This is where it might get a little confusing, but we're going to go through it together. Okay, everybody good? Verse 9, it says this, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. Watch what he's saying. I was exiled with Wilson to the island of Patmos. For preaching the word of God and for my test, I added that just so everybody knows that one little line, that was me. Okay. And for my testimony about Jesus, watch what it says, verse 10. It was the Lord's day. I was worshiping in the spirit. Like he's, he's, I mean, he's worshiping God. He's going after God. Suddenly what happens? I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet blast. And it said, write in a book everything that you see. Then send it to the seven. Somebody shout seven. Seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Had to practice that all week. Come on, somebody. All right. <laughs> when I turned to see who was speaking to me, this is John talking. He said, yo, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Jesus standing there before him saying this. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like the mighty ocean's waves. Come on, don't we serve a powerful God? Don't we serve a God that is not just meek and mild, but man, he is all-powerful and all-knowing. I love that so much. Verse 16, he held seven stars in his right hand. This is Jesus. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. Sometimes when you experience Jesus and who he is, you can't help but fall down before him. You can't help but worship him. That's what John's doing. But he laid his right hand on me and he said this, hey, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Come on, somebody. That's Jesus talking. Write down what you've seen, both the things that are happening now and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So like the messengers, really actually if you go back to the original language, that's like the pastors and the leaders of these seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Somebody shout seven. We're going to look at number one th this week. And again, we read it, but we're going to read it one more time. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. 
This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Watch this. I know all the things that you do. This is Jesus talking to them. I, I, I have seen your hard work. I've seen your patient endurance. I, don't, I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but they are not. You've discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me, excuse me, without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. That you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Watch what he says. Look how far you've fallen. But I love God and I love the fact that Jesus says, you know what? I, I'm going to correct you, but I'm also going to give you a way that you can just come back into fellowship with me. Watch what he says. Turn back to me. And do the works that you did at first. And if you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Everybody okay? We just read some revelation. Come on, tap your neighbor and say, we did it. We did it. We did it. We did it. Okay. Now let's learn from it. You ready? I want you to write some stuff down. I want you to see that the very first thing that Jesus does is Jesus commends commitment. It's like Jesus begins by saying, hey, I commend your commitment. Like, yo... I love that he starts out by encouraging them. And what we'll see over the next few weeks is honestly as he begins to talk through each of these churches, as he begins to talk to them, he begins by always commending them before he corrects them. Right? He always commends them before he corrects them. Verse 2 says, I know all the things that you do. First of all, that should scare some of us, right? That should scare some of us in the room. I know all the things that you do. And I have seen your hard work, Jesus says to the church. So, so God works. I want us to understand something, that God works through people who work. Like you got to understand that, again, you need to realize that if, if literally, if, if you're going to do anything for God, it is going to require some work. How, what's the Bible tell us? That the harvest is plentiful, but what? The workers are few. Right, it's going to take some work. And I, I begin to look around at Purpose Church and the fact that we're four and some months old, four years and a couple months old. And I, I got to thinking about it. And I got to looking around. And I got to think, oh, my goodness, by the grace of God and also by the sweat of some people's brow, that there have been men and women, boys and girls who have sacrificed and labored and put their hands to the plow over the last few years to say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do whatever we can to serve Jesus. We're going to do whatever we can to connect people to Jesus and help them live on purpose. And I want to shout out the serve team right now. Come on. Can we get put our hands together for the serve team at Purpose Church? Come on. You used to, at a middle school, you'd set up early. You'd show up at 5 o'clock pulling trailers, and guess what you would do? You'd show up, set all this stuff up to have church in, just believing that, you know what? We're not just a church with a building. No, we're a people of God that God is building, and you were serving then. Man, you showed up in a place like this. You gave towards everybody's giving, towards just advancing the mission of this place. I just want to tell you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for the sacrifice, the labor, the, the, the putting your hands to the plow to serve Jesus with everything that that year you've got, and I think Jesus would commend that commitment, because Jesus does that with them. He says, hey, 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 listen, great job laboring for the Lord, great job laboring for me. I know what you've done, like I've seen your hard work. Then he goes on to say, hey, I see your patient endurance. Come on, how many of us have some patience in the room? Not me, okay? I'm just going to tell you, that's hard for me, really difficult to me for me to be patient. My dad used to say, it's a dad thing, your patience is as big as your little toe. 
right? That's what my dad used to tell me all the time. And I'm like, you're right, Dad. You're right. But again, I love that Jesus is commending them. You have patient endurance. Jesus is commending them for not backing down when everybody else is backing down. For not giving in when pressure says to when culture pressures them to give in to certain things. Now, when the going gets tough, come on. If, if we're going to do anything for God, we got to realize it's going to be through some hardships. Right? I think hard work and hardships are in the vocabulary of every follower of Jesus. I think it should be. And he goes on to say, hey, you know what? I've seen your hard work. I've seen your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of all of those who say that they are apostles, but they are not. And you've discovered that they're liars. What's Jesus saying right there? He's saying, you know what? You got good doctrine. Like, like you got, you, man, you, you know a lot of Bible verses. You got a good set of beliefs that you're building your life on. And I just want to tell you in this place right now, I think it's important that we do that. I think it's important that we have good doctrine, that we have this good orthodoxy is the big Christianese word, right? That we study this word and we do what it says, right? I think it's so important that we don't just make our own truth up. No, we live out his truth that he explains here in his word, right? Like that's, that's what Jesus is commending them for. He's saying, hey man, good job in that. And again, he goes on to say, you've patiently suffered for me without quitting. And I love that Jesus commends this church. I love that Jesus first starts out by saying, man, you are committed. And it kind of reminds me of what Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said it like this, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work. Somebody say work. Work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And I love that so much that Jesus commends them for their commitment. But he commends them. Then watch this. Then he calls them out. So he commends them. Then the next thing I think we need to see is that Jesus calls out their distraction. So, so not only does he commend their commitment, but then he says this. I, I got to call something out of you. I got to let you know I see something that maybe you don't see. I got to let you know that there's a blind spot that maybe is in your life that you need to realize. And this idea in verse 4, he says, but I have this complaint against you. I'm calling this out of you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. So Jesus, he calls out their distractions. Anybody remember when you first fell in love? Come on, somebody. Father's Day weekend. Come on. I see a teenager raising their hand. Boy, you don't know nothing about love right now. Quit playing. I'm sorry. I, I love our students so much. But I remember those days, right? I remember what that felt like. I remember saying, hey. I, I thought I was in love. You remember when you first fell in love, everything was awesome? Y'all remember that? You remember being on the phone for hours with each other every night? Come on, somebody. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Come on, anybody remember like the actual phone you had to have? Like you would, and if somebody would be on the other line in your house, you'd be like, hang up. I'm talking. You know what I'm saying? Anybody remember those days? Man, I remember that. Man, we couldn't have phones after 9 p.m. That was, that was a, a little thing at our house. Literally, my dad was after 9. One time, my sister, I'm just going to throw her under the bus right here in front of everybody. Hope you're watching, sis. That would be awesome. Uh, but, like, she was on the phone after 9 p.m. Dad walked up in there, ripped the phone off her wall, said, you ain't going to be on the phone after 9 p.m. <laughs> I like it. I like it. She was in love, though, you know, because, again, when we're in love, listen, even the word nothing is awesome. You know what I'm talking about? What are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> what are you thinking right now? 
nothing. Oh, that's so beautiful, right? So that's, like, when you, when you first are in love, there's these things that go on that happen. And uh, again, if anybody that knows anything about relationships, as time goes on, what begins out as being special at first sometimes just turns into the normal, right? And with normal, what happens a lot of time comes distraction. And distraction leads to drifting, and all of a sudden what may happen is you may have fallen in love with somebody, and you were in love when you first started, and guess what happens? You look up, and you may be in the same room, but you are nowhere near each other physically or emotionally. And that can happen in relationships, but here's the deal. And so many times nobody can really pinpoint, okay, where was the time, where was the place, where was the moment, like when it actually changed, when it all like, kind of caused this but, but I don't think there's anybody really that can pinpoint that because what happens is that over time, little by little, other things crept in, distractions came up, and the byproduct of distraction is actually drifting. And what happens is this, I remember as a kid, we go to the, we go to the ocean, right? And I, I love family trips with my family back in the day. We try to take our family on some trips every now and then. It's a trip, not a vacation with kids. Come on, somebody, right? All the dads know what I'm talking about in the room, right? But, like, we, we're trying to go. And I remember this one time as a kid, I, I, I literally would um, uh, be on, like, an inner tube out in there. We used to go with some friends literally to the beach. And, man, we'd be on, out on the inner tube, like, literally on the ocean. And I remember uh, one time, and specifically, I was on one of them tire tubes. Y'all remember them ones look like a tire? I remember being out in the ocean, and, and, and I'm just floating, just doing my own thing. Next thing I know, I'm about 250 yards down the beach, Right? I, I floated. I just kind of did my, I was just kind of just, ooh, I was doing my own thing. Felt good. I thought I was okay. But what happened was, is I had floated 250 yards away from my family. And here's what I got to thinking about with that. Distracted living is dangerous living. And the fact is, is that why is it dangerous? You know why it's dangerous? Because you find yourself no longer going in the direction that you were meant to go, no longer on the same path or trajectory you first started out on, and you begin to live in a place, a space, a lifestyle that you were never intended to live. You know why? All because you got distracted. All because you got distracted. And this is what Jesus is telling the church of Ephesus. Listen to me. And I just think it's a wake-up call for Purpose Church today. Listen to me. You've done all of these incredible things. You've been a part of all these incredible things. But listen to me. You can get distracted. And you start to put your eyes on things in this life rather than the one who gave you life. And the quickest way to drift from God's purpose for your life is to be distracted by the things in this life. And I think so many times if we're not careful we can wind up just like the church of Ephesus. And I'm not even talking just about the church. I'm talking about us individually. That you and I can wind up drifting and literally distracted. And a lot of times, here's what I know, doesn't start out that way. Right? Doesn't start out that way. Like, we, women, we just never intended to, to do that. We never intended for that to be kind of the end of it. We never intended to, to wind up here, but we do. And it's easy to do, y'all. I want to just be honest. It's easy to do. Even Paul wrote a letter to the same church in, in, in literally the book of Ephesians, commended them for their love for the Lord and for each other. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 1. Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. 
Right? You've got to understand that Ephesians was written before the book of Revelation. And you've got to understand that less than a generation later, and they are distracted and they're no longer living in the calling of what God has put in front of them. Less than a generation later. And this is what I know is that when we become distracted by the things around us, even the good things, listen to me, it can deter us from what God is and is wanting to do in us. That's what I want you to write down. Our service to God must never and must not outpace our devotion to God. Right? We should never get so busy with life and church and, and all of this stuff. Man, this church had a lot of stuff going on. Man, they were a busy church. They were doing a whole lot. But guess what? Right in the middle of doing all of it, they lost their focus. They lost their passion. They lost that fervor for Jesus. And they got distracted. What I want to just challenge us with, they became distracted by their actions and their works and neglected their intimate relationship with God. And I think so many times it's easy for us to do. I think so many times in my own life, if I'm being honest, we all can be there. That I find myself going and working so hard for the kingdom that I forget about the king of the kingdom. I, I could be so uh, just infatuated with my problems and, and suffering that I lose my enthusiasm for his grace. That I, I can be so concerned about having right beliefs and making sure to not tolerate evil that I forget how to love. And if I'm being honest, I can be the chief offender of that. But what I came to remind us of today is this idea that, you know what, this is Jesus calling them out, but there is also a, a, a remedy to that. That there's a remedy, and I want to tell you it's three R's. If you're ready for them, because all us preachers, we just want to put the same letter at the first of everything. Come on, somebody, right? Three R's. If you want to not live a distracted life, and you want to live back to that commitment of doing and serving God with everything that you've got wholeheartedly, here's how you do it. If you're ready for it, say, I'm ready. The first one is this. you got to remember. Somebody shout, remember. See, when we lose sight of the seriousness of sin, like we begin to lose the thrill of our forgiveness. I'm going to say it again. When we lose sight of the seriousness of sin, we begin to lose the thrill of our forgiveness. And I got to thinking, I came to remind somebody today, don't get too far from your testimony. Don't get too far from your testimony. Do you remember what it was like before Jesus? Do you remember what your life was like? Can I remember what my life was like before Jesus? When you first became a Christian, you had all the enthusiasm in the, in the world, but didn't have a whole lot of knowledge. Come on, somebody, right? For most of us, that's kind of the case. And then maybe now you've got a whole lot of knowledge, but not a lot of enthusiasm. But here's the thing. We need a marriage of both of those. And I'm trying to get somebody to remember today, like literally remember what is it like when you first met Jesus. What is it like when you first met Jesus? I, I want you to think about it. I'm trying to get you to remember. I want you to get your joy back when it comes to serving God. I want you to get your joy, your passion back. I want to see you shout without having to have any music around you to shout. Right? I want to see you just lean into what God, give God praise for his goodness without having a drummer behind this cage right here. 
Like, I want to see what that's like. I want somebody to get as excited as the day that they gave their life to Jesus. I'm trying to get some of us to remember that there was this time like where it seemed like there was no way out. And the fact is, yet God showed up even in the middle of it. I'm trying to get somebody to remember in this place that we serve a God that can and has turned that test into a testimony. I'm trying to get somebody to remember that we serve a God who can take bad things and turn them into good things. That I'm trying to get somebody to remember that there was a time in your life where it may have looked bleak, dark, desperate, a no way out kind of situation, but that's no match for the God that we serve, and he showed up anyway. I'm trying to get you to remember that when you ran into that problem, when you ran into that trial, when you ran into that test, that those things have produced perseverance on the inside of you and character, and that character, hope, and hope doesn't disappoint and I'm trying to get somebody to remember where it felt like Satan was going to destroy you. But can anybody remember a time in your life that what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good? That is, I'm trying to get somebody to remember right now that we serve a God who is working all things for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I'm trying to get somebody to remember at Purpose Church on Father's Day weekend. Listen, is there anybody out there that would say, you know, what Jesus saved me, set me free. He released me from that addiction. He saved my daddy that I was praying for for years. Is there anybody that can remember where you watched your kids meet Jesus and be baptized? I'm trying to get you to remember the faithfulness of our God. Woo! I'm trying to get you to remember. Because, man, I'm telling you, when we forget about who we were before Jesus, we lose the thrill of the forgiveness that he gave us in forgiving us. I just, I wanted to just challenge all of us to remember that. The next thing I want us to do is repent. I want you to repent. This is the second remedy that Jesus literally gives us when he's talking to the church of Ephesus. He says, you got to remember, and not only you got to remember, you got to repent. Because he says in verse 5, look how far you have fallen. Right? Look how far you've fallen. And maybe some of you are here today on Father's Day and you say, man, I'm not where I, I man, I really thought I was going to be in a different place in my life. I really thought I was, I was going to be somewhere else doing something differently. And I've fallen in good ways. Now, I, I want to challenge some of us today that there is a word that you can use in your life that you can begin to put into practice that if you will do it, I'm just believing that God is going to work in you and through you. And it's this word, repent. And that's literally what that word means, to turn back. It's what repent means, change your course, to reroute. It's actually an old military term. Did you know that? That repent's an old military term that means that you were going one way, but it means that you stop, and you about face, and you go this way. That's literally what that word repent means. And this is the remedy that Jesus is giving us. Okay, hey, I, I know I want to commend you for your commitment, but you've gotten distracted. You've gotten distracted. And this happens to most of us in our lives as we walk out our faith. So again, I'm going to challenge some of us. That's why this message series is so relevant for us right now. It's, it, just because the Bible was written thousands of years ago, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit told guys what to write down. And guess what? That same Holy Spirit is still speaking to today. And he's using a book that may be a couple thousand years old, but the author is still alive. 
and he's still speaking to you and I. So what I want to challenge you with, this is a remedy that Jesus is saying, you don't want to live distracted? Repent. And this is my question for you. Are there things that you are doing that you shouldn't be doing? Intentionally or unintentionally? Because here's what I want to let you know. It's time today to repent. It's time today to say, you know what? I, I was going this direction, doing this thing, and I've got to just, man, I've got to about face. And I've got to face the right thing. I've got to face the right one. I've got to repent of some stuff going on in my life. And the Bible says, hey, you know what? If you don't repent, the Bible tells us, I will come and I'll remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. What's that mean, Dustin? Well, the consequence of not repenting is that you will lose your effectiveness, ultimately. Because a, a lampstand was, was on a, uh, the, the temple, the, the church was in front of everybody, and it was caused, actually it was what, what, what the whole goal was, again, to give light to everybody all down the street. And the fact is that Jesus, what he's ultimately saying to them is, hey, if you're not going to be willing to repent, you're ultimately going to lose your effectiveness as a church. And I think some of us in the room, if we're really honest, we've lost that fervor, we've lost that passion, we've lost, we've lost that love for Jesus. You know why? Because there's something in between us and Him. And we need to just be willing to say, hey, I repent of that today. I repent of that today. The last thing is this. Remember, repent, and return. That you can return. So, so repent means are there things that you are doing that you shouldn't be doing Return is just this idea. Are there things that you are not doing that you actually should be doing? So I think so many of us, again, do you think about the first things that you did when you first encountered Jesus? When you first realized that Jesus saved you? What were some of those things? And Jesus encourages them, do the works that you did at first. Listen to me. Salvation from Jesus is a one-time event. But following Jesus is a daily decision. Does that make sense? Sal does that make sense? About three of us in the room. Okay, everybody good? Everybody okay? Salvation is a one-time event. Justification is a one-time event. It's a big churchy word. Happens when you accept Jesus. Here's the thing. There's this thing called sanctification that happens every single day. What, are, what were you doing when you felt like, man, I, I was in stride with God. I was close to God. I could hear Him clearly. Nothing was foggy. Nothing was, was, was interrupted of that. And I could hear him. What, what were you doing then that you need to return back to? And then I'm going to ask, what do you need to repent of that's in between you and him?